You're listening to the Westchester Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ. the connection between what God has said and done in the Old Testament to what He does in the New Testament. And what you have to understand is every time that you read the Bible, pick it up, you are having a cross-cultural and a cross-time experience. And so what we need to do is even before we look and read some of the Scripture that we're going to read today, because we're going to read a good amount of Scripture too, is we need to get a little bit of a history lesson. And so where it starts on the biblical side, is this, let's see if it works. Oh. Trying to get a, the clicker working. There we go. This is the magic spot right here. Uh, is this beautiful word here, Beris? And brief is a word that appears quite a bit in the Bible. Uh, it, it means covenant, or it could mean another word that you are probably pretty familiar with, and that is... Oh, Andrew moved. I'm just going to stand over here. There we go. Covenant. Covenant or testament. So you know our Bible is divided into two what? Testaments. So two covenants that our Bible is divided between. There are more than two covenants uh, in it. And, uh, well, well, we'll get to that in a second. So we are going to start here by looking at uh, some of the things. Because if you misunderstand it, maybe I should go over here because that's, that's the side that it's on. And I really want to show this animation that I put together. There it is. Okay. So it starts in history where there is a great king, also referred to as a suzerain, that uh, has some form of relationship or connection to a lesser king. There we go. Beautiful. And uh, what ends up happening is they know each other beforehand. There's some sort of, uh, some sort of connection, whether it's by trade. And uh, what ends up happening is Usually, you have the lesser king who finds themselves in a desperate situation. They are surrounded on all sides. There's bad guys that want to take them out, that want to destroy them and kill them. And what ends up happening is as they are surrounded, at just the right time, while things look hopeless, the great king swoops in, fights off the enemy, and saves their life. Again, this is history. Now sometimes, what they were referred to, is the great king was sometimes called, again, history, the shepherd, and the lesser king was called his sheep. And as they would come together, as, as they would uh, form this bond known as a covenant, you would see is, is it was a, a bond of love because the lesser king was grateful to the greater king. The greater king would, would basically, he would be adopting, like a father would adopt his son, would adopt a son, 
into his family. Because the lesser king didn't really have much to offer the great king, but yet they were bound by love. And what it was, it was a guarantee of freedom from any other master. That your great king would fight for you. That he would protect you. That he would care for you and take care of you. Now, as they were formalizing these, because up to that point it had been an informal relationship, there was a pattern that would happen as they were formalizing their relationship. And it looked something like this. There was a historical prologue. Basically, it was a time where the two parties would sit together and say, hey, here is our history together. This is when we met. This is uh, how, how our, our relationship progressed up to this point where we are making the covenant. Then they would sit down and they would nail out kind of the words of the covenant. Um, both parties would end up having a copy of the words. And they would end up being deposited in the respected temples uh, of the gods of these people. And the lesser king was expected to periodically read over the words of the covenant to make sure that they were actually following it, that they were holding to the, I guess, the stipulations and the sanctions of the covenant. So the stipulations were basically the, hey, if you owe, like, this is what it means to be in a covenant with me. You will not have any other gods. You will remain faithful to me. You will uh, care for me. Usually it involves uh, them not speaking or grumbling or saying anything bad about their great king, that they would pay some form of tribute to the great king, and uh, they were expected to even raise up an army uh, of their own and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But as they were, were doing that, they would, they would come together, and there was usually uh, some sanctions that came along with that. Basically, it was, if you keep the terms of our covenant, these are the blessings you will receive. If you break the terms of the covenant, well, these are the punishments. These are the curses that will come upon you if you do so. And oftentimes, part of the blessing was a territory or some form of, of land that they would get control over or that they would be able to reign over. Then what would end up happening is they would take some form of oath. Uh, you would pledge yourself to the covenant and to your covenant master. Uh, they would have a witness that would sit in and kind of like say, okay, I see that this covenant is being formed. Uh, usually it was, there was either a third party or they would appeal to a god of some form to be witness. Sometimes they would have the heavens and the earth be the witness to the covenant. And it was expected that if you were the witness, you were in charge of helping to carry out the punishments if the covenant was broken. Then they would have this beautiful ceremony of ratification. And uh, usually it, it, it encompassed two, two pieces. Sometimes they were both present. Sometimes only one was present in which uh, they would take an animal and they would tear the animal in two and the lesser king would usually pass through the animals and basically it would be a pledge saying, if I break the covenant, may I be torn in two like these animals have been torn in two. May the punishment that happened on them happen on me. And then what they would do is they would often they'd eat 
a sacrificial, a sacrificial animal. Sometimes it was that animal, sometimes some other. And they would eat the animal, and the Jews didn't do this part. They substituted wine. But the, uh, the parties would actually drink the blood of the animal that they sacrificed. So as you can tell, even just from that, this is not like you're like, oh, hey, friendly little agreement. Like, this is like a blood pact. This is like a pact to the death. Like, this is intense, uh, what they have going on. Then there was some sign that was given. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the, uh, the lesser king would have to put a cut. Usually it was on their, their wrist, uh, their hands. And as they would walk into the presence of the great king, uh, they would lift up their hands and the king would see the scar and you as the lesser king would know that the scar was there and it would remind you that you need to be faithful to the covenant. It was a way of showing, hey, I'm faithful to being in covenant with you. Other times they would take a nation that is previously there and they would rename the nation or they would rename the king. Parents, uh, you'll like this pit. It's when you name something, it's like you have ownership over it. It's your property. You can do, you have authority over whatever you name. I know, teens, right? Doesn't that stink? Terrible. Terrible. But oftentimes the name that you are given would have to do something with your purpose in life. They were very, very symbolic uh, as to what you were meant to do. And then other times they would give some form of garment, whether it was a robe or some other nice piece of clothing. And you were expected, surprise, surprise, to wear that garment in the presence of your great king. And how well you took care of that garment, how nice and clean and sparkly you kept it, uh, well, that was also a way of showing that you were faithful to the covenant because, I mean, let's be honest, you can't keep a piece of clothing, one piece of clothing clean and in good condition. How are you going to follow the rest of the covenant? And so it was a way of, of revealing that and showing that. And so if, if anyone, let's say if, if you were in covenant with the same great king, this is going to be a shocker to you, you were referred to as brothers in covenant. So if, if Jim was my master, this is a terrible analogy, I don't like it, you know, and Joe also had Jim as his master, then Joe and I would be brothers in covenant. We would have the same master. And so what was expected of us is, uh, I would, of course would never do this, but if Joe showed hostility towards me, or towards Jim as the great king, then I was expected to help Jim wipe Joe out because Joe has shown hostility to his covenant master and to his fellow brothers and sisters that are in the covenant. You can see that unity is a big deal here, even in, in history. And so why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because there are four major covenants in the Old Testament. There's the covenant that God makes with Noah. Uh, you may know it, right? He wipes out 
they floods the earth, and then he gives us the rainbow, which is a beautiful sign, saying, hey, I won't do this again. I won't destroy anyone. Uh, there's nothing that anyone has to do to be a part of that covenant. Even if you don't have a relationship with God, God has promised he will not destroy the earth uh, by water again. Then there's the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Uh, we're going to focus on that one today. And there's a covenant that God makes with, with Moses as well as with David. And so as we are focusing on Abraham today, uh, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 17. So if you could turn there, and uh, I will give, you know, we'll give us a little bit of, of background before we read. So if we're talking about the historical prologue, the historical prologue of, of the history between God and these people does not appear in chapter 17. So I'm going to give a little bit of background to that. And basically, this is what has gone on beforehand. And Abraham is in a very, very desperate situation. Why? Well, he's basically the last faithful person on the earth. Right? That's pretty desperate. Could you imagine being the only Christian, the only disciple left on the planet? You could say, okay, Melchizedek as well was there. But you had Abraham. And so Abraham... There's nobody left, nobody to take over his, his estate, no one to carry on his legacy of faithfulness. And uh, that's kind of scary. He has no heir. And uh, so what rescuing is God going to do? It looks bleak for the future of God's people. And so we're going to continue on in here in Genesis chapter 17 and, and read a little bit. And I want you to think about what you can pick up on. I know there was a lot that we covered. Look for, that, for those stipulations, those renaming, those things that God expects of Abraham. Because uh, they are in there and we will talk about them as we go through. So picking up in Genesis chapter 17, it says, When Abraham was 99 years old, again, desperate situation, 99 years old, no kids. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. You will be named Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of, me- of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you, By this time next year, when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. Now, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought with a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Wow. So what did you pick up on? What of this whole covenant-making language was there? Now, I know the word covenant was there a lot. That was definitely there. There was definitely there was talks about the land and the territory that Abraham would inherit. But I want to focus on a couple things here. Now, Abraham was 99 years old, right? And he was going to be 100 when he had a kid. Now, if you met someone who was 100 years old and their wife was 90 years old, would you look at them and say, oh, so you're expecting? Is that something that you just imagine, oh, yeah, definitely, that's what's going to happen? Now, in all that time, you don't think in a 100 years, Abraham and Sarah did not try to have a kid. Oh, they tried and they tried and they tried, but it's to no avail. And so the only way that Abraham was going to get rescued from this situation, because 
Of course, he tried to take it into his own hands, right? Say, where we got Ishmael. It caused a whole bunch of problems, too. Was if God intervened and made this happen for Abraham. Abraham didn't earn it. You see, the love connection, the father, God, the great king, adopting the lesser king, Abraham, to be his son. And what does he require of Abraham here? Well, he says, you need to walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And spoiler alert, this is not something that's changed from the old covenant to the new covenant. Throwing it out there. Walk before God and be blameless. And then he goes and he gives Abraham a sign. And uh, maybe you pick this up. This chapter says the word circumcision a lot. And whenever words are repeated in the Bible, there's a reason for it. It's important. Notice how it said, you must be circumcised. Ishmael must be circumcised. All of the people of your household. And then it says again, every person in your household must be circumcised. Emphasis on emphasis on emphasis. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is the sign. Now, what most people don't know, though, oh, man, I love this. This is so cool, is that circumcision was actually a fairly common practice in Abraham's day. Other nations circumcised uh, their children. So what then, if anything, separated the circumcision that God required of Abraham from what all of the other nations did? And some of you may even know where I'm going with this eventually, right? You can figure that out. Well, one, it was the person who guaranteed what circumcision meant. Now, circumcision was an important piece of it, right? If Abraham was not circumcised, he would have done what? He would have been guilty of what? Breaking the covenant. But it wasn't the act of circumcision by itself that was a big deal. It was Abraham's commitment to the covenant to his master that went along with the circumcision that made it what it was. Now you may see that this pops up in Romans chapter 2. It says, Any person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. It's both. It's physical and spiritual. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code, Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now, this is gonna, this is gonna translate, right? If you even think about, uh, baptism in the New Covenant, what separates a baptism from someone just getting in some water? Well, it's the promise of the one who gives the covenant, God, and what God is saying He will do through baptism. Right? Wow, this is crazy, right? As he's talking about this, what he will do through that, not because you've earned it, along with your pledge, your declaration that you will be faithful to the covenant. 
And you see throughout history that the Jewish people throughout the Bible looked and relied on circumcision as a way of saying, look, I'm faithful to God. But they didn't always have the second piece, or I'd say maybe even the more important piece along with it, which was their faith. That they decided that they were going to actually hold to the covenant that came along with it. And so i got to ask this question because I think this happens. Is Many of us can look and say, well, you know, I've been baptized the way that God calls me to be baptized. Therefore, I am right with God and in the covenant. But, and this is a big but, if you've been baptized and have started pledging your allegiance through your actions, through your words, through your thoughts, to another king, to another, to another master, then baptism is of no worse to you. It's as if, what's the difference? I'm not saying that, that it nullifies your baptism. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, what good is one without the other? You need to continue in your faithfulness. Continue in holding to what God has said. And if you can look and say, hey, I remember when I first made my commitment to God, the passion that I had, the faith that I had. And since that time, you know, instead of actually growing in my commitment to God and to His covenant and in my gratitude for how He saves me and continues to save me and fight for me, I've waned. I've, I've, I've started to give my heart to other things, to other gods, whether it's work or some relationship or uh, if you're a teenager, your schoolwork or your friends over your relationship with God. The sign and the oath and the lifestyle had to complement each other. And you notice there was an urgency in Abraham when did, he, when did he repent? When did he follow what God called him to do? That very day. That very day. And so, if you have been realizing, wow, I have not been holding faithful to the covenant that God has made me, or if you have not yet entered into a covenant with God, don't put it off. Today is the day for you to repent. Today is the day for you to turn things around. And you notice, when Abraham, why would he want this? Why would he want to enter into a covenant with God? Well, besides God giving him this promise, he goes and he takes this name change. Abram means, means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. Now, it's kind of funny that Abram's name was the exalted father when basically most of his life he didn't even have kids. It would, have been, it would have been a mark of shame for him. And some of you think about what you were known for before you were a Christian. Or maybe even what you're known for now. Well, I'm known as the, the person who's always late. The person who's unreliable. I'm known as the gossip. Or as the, the person who sleeps around or is a wild partier. And God is there saying, no, that does not have to be your identity anymore. I want to give you a new name. 
a new name in me, in my family, you'll be known as something different. The shame will be taken away. Sarai. Sarai is the masculine form of the offspring of royalty. Basically, Sarai means prince. This is not a gender-neutral name. She was, she was referred to as the she was, she was Basically, her name meant prince. And so God takes that disgrace away from her and says, no longer will you be prince, but you're going to be able to bear children. You are my princess. I have taken away your disgrace. In me, you are mine. I will care for you. And he blesses them. He promises them a son. Think of all the promises. If you've been a Christian for a while, think of all of the promises that God has given you, even your your favorite one. That God has said, if you are faithful to me, if you hold to my covenant, this is the blessing I give to you. And then that faithfulness, that faithful response on Abraham's part, that very day, that very day. Now, I want to take this in a different direction right now because we need to link this to Jesus. Because Jesus is really where everything collides. This this thing with Abraham, that is a very, very important piece. But Jesus is referred to as the seed, as the fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy, uh, the prophecy to Abraham, the true fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham. Because what you see in Jesus, now watch this, this is going to blow your mind about who Jesus is and what he did. You ready? Are you ready? You're really ready for this. Okay. Jesus. What? Oh, great. So Jesus, from Noah, Jesus is the one who protects us. There's a reason why water was chosen for baptism and why that is the new covenant sign. Why? Because water is symbolic of creation. That's why at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The waters were one. The Spirit hovered over the waters and it has that imagery to it. Noah, the flood coming, it was a symbol. It was a way of saying, hey, we're going to start over a recreation in Christ. You are a new creation. And God uses the water to have you become a new person. You are protected in Him. He will not let you be destroyed. In Abraham, Jesus is the promised seed. For Moses, Jesus fulfills all of the requirements of the law. And for David, Jesus is the eternal King that God promised to have on the throne. Now, not only is Jesus the fulfillment of covenant, he is actually also embodies all the aspects of covenant. Jesus is the lesser king, which was sometimes referred to as the servant of the great king. He is also the great king. He is the shepherd. He is also the witness to the covenant. He is the blessing of the covenant. He's also the curse of the covenant because his words are what you're going to be judged by. Jesus is the Word of the covenant made flesh, and He is deposited in the temple of God. He is the covenant sacrifice, the covenant meal, 
That's communion. He is the garment that we put on in token of the covenant. He is the sign that we are given that we know He is from God. He is our peace that is also a promise and our righteousness. And God has, God has used Jesus to form a new people. And He has named them. Right? You even think about what it talks about in Revelation. I will give you a new name. Wow. Did you know Jesus was all that? It's amazing how God just fits everything together so perfectly. We're that promised offspring. Now, let's get personal here. Because if, if we're going to tie this as we're going to get ready to take communion, I want to make sure to spell out that you understand how you fit into this on a, on a personal level, not on a grand scale level. Your historical prologue is your testimony. That's your life and what it was like before you became a Christian. Some of you are still writing your historical prologue. Others of you have seen it and said, wow, this is what my life was like before Jesus. And yet He came in at just the right time and rescued me. This is something that we need to reflect on. You were a slave to sin, but that's no longer. God has given you His Word. He's promised you blessings if you follow Him and curses if you don't. For a Christian, for you, what is the territory you inherit? Heaven. That's the promised territory that God gives to you. There's an oath that somebody makes when they form a covenant, right? It's the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. The pledge of a good conscience. An appeal to God. There's a witness that happens when you are forming or ratifying this covenant with Jesus. And on one side, it is Jesus who's sitting there, who's actually witnessing and helping to form and, and make you a new creation. But you also see on the other side, the witness is the heavens and the earth. And you will see, right? I said the witness. What does the witness do? Helps to carry out the punishment. At the end of time, what is going to help carry out the punishment on those who are not a part of God's family? Well, it says God is going to remake. He's going to have a new heaven and a new earth. The old is going to pass away. And so the heavens and the earth are going to take part in carrying out the covenant, uh, the covenant uh, sanctions, the covenant stipulations. And then our ratification. You see, Jesus was our sacrifice that was torn, that was put up on the cross, that died for us. That our baptism is, is our connection with that sacrifice that Jesus made. Not that we earned it, not that we deserve it, but we are walking through, passing through, the as you walk through or pass through or go under the waters of baptism, that is Jesus taking the punishment that we deserve. Then we have communion, the covenant meal, which every single week is a way of us saying, well, God, I was faithful to your covenant this past week. 
And if you were not faithful to God's covenant last week, it's a time to say, God, I am here to renew my commitment to you so that this next week I will hold to your covenant. And then the next week I will hold to your covenant. You see the sign the Holy Spirit marks us. You're given a new name. You're clothed with Christ. And that garment is yours that you are supposed to keep pure. Right? Your, your walk with God. Don't let yourself get dirtied, muddied with sin. Take care of the new creation, the new garment that Christ has put over you as you live a sanctified life in Him. Now, all of these things, all of these things come together to make the covenant. You cannot just pick and choose what pieces you want, what pieces you don't, because God is the one who sets the terms. Not you. And if you want His protection, if you want Him to adopt you into His family then this is what He is talking about. This is the kind of commitment. This is the blood pact till death do you together that God is calling for any follower of Him to have. Are you willing to be faithful to the covenant? And if you haven't yet, you've, you, you see those blessings, why would anyone not want that? Why wouldn't you, a God who, who just wants to bless you, wants to love you, adopt you, to be, your, to be His son, His daughter, and His family, He will take care of you. He will protect you. But I do say this, though. To those of you who have already taken this pledge, this, have, have formed this covenant with God, in Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making the vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. And this is really what it comes down to. Will you keep your vows? Now, first and foremost, it's your vow to God, but this extends to any vow, right, that we make that is not a sin in sin in and of itself. God will hold you to that. And I want to especially say that there's a major one that people do that a vow that people take, and it's called marriage. That is a covenant that you make at marriage. And I know sometimes, that I, I've heard this, and I know working through, uh, working with the teenagers, you see all sorts of family dynamics. And I will preface it with this. I'm not married. I do not know how difficult it can be. And I, I can only imagine knowing just how difficult a relationship with people that you see sometimes and see other times and don't see other times and that you don't come, I mean, having a room, I have great roommates, but sometimes having roommates can be, you know, even difficult in and of itself. But forming a covenant, a life to do, do till, till death do you part covenant, 
That's another level of difficulty. And I imagine there are times where you could say, well, I made the wrong choice. I can't believe God. If I knew this about this person before we got married, oh, we would not have gone through with that covenant ceremony. But I'm here to encourage you and to say, you did not make a mistake. And you are held to your word. And that is a covenant that you made where God was the witness. And so, again, will you hold to the covenant that God put before you? Will you fight to make your marriage work? Will you work on the things that God has called you to work on? Because it's the same. We've got we to gotta fight for our relationships here on earth, and we have to fight for our relationship with God. If you are not connecting with God on a regular basis, you are not going to be faithful to His covenant. And what will happen is God, a relationship with God, as well as a marriage, will turn into a, a checklist of things. And church will become a checklist of things. Even reading your Bible will become a checklist of things instead of a time for you to grow in the depth of your connection and an understanding of that relationship as God intended it to be. But whatever vow you make, you want to hold to it. Because what ends up happening is the way that you treat the person that you are in covenant with, whether that's your spouse or whether that's God, shows what you think of them, reveals what you think of them. And if you are more committed to something else than God, who is your main master, then it sends a message that God is really not that important to you. Or this other person is really not that important to you. And if you look at that, and this is going to kill our evangelism, and I don't just mean you going and sharing your faith with other people. I mean even your kids in your own home who are watching your example. If you do not have regard for the great king, if you do not have joy, the joy in your relationship with him, why in the world would anyone else want to enter into a covenant relationship with him? If they look at you and that's what they see. Will you be faithful to God's covenant? Because you've got to represent your master. And I think really what it comes down to is as we're praying, as we're getting ready to take communion right now, if you haven't, if you haven't entered this covenant with God, I want to urge you to do so. Go after it. Take major steps today. If you have and you've lapsed, now, as we take communion, is a time to recommit your heart to Him. And maybe it starts with you just praying, God, change my heart. Some of you may have to even go back further than that and say, God, I pray that you give me the desire to change my heart. And that's a prayer that I've had to pray many times before. But we need to follow the faith and the example of Abraham who did not hesitate and acted that very day. So what will you do today with the covenant God has put before you? Let's pray as we take communion. Father, we are so grateful for you. You are incredible and marvelous. And I, I don't know how we could even survive without you. 
God, it's so incredible to know that, that you want to adopt us into your family. That Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us so that we could form a covenant with you. That Jesus could take the punishment that we deserve. God, I pray that you transform our hearts and that really the meter of, of where we're at spiritually and it's not whether or not we're doing things like just reading the Bible and praying, but how we are in being transformed to be more like Jesus each and every day, God. Let us become better at becoming like your Son, stronger in our convictions to follow you. God, we just put forth any, any sin that we have that we, we, we just want to lay it out before you and repent before you. And I pray that, that those of you who are here who know that you have something in your heart, some way that you've been unfaithful to the covenant, that you will go before God and that you will talk to one of your brother or sisters in covenant and share with them what's been going on. Because God, you don't force anyone to make this commitment to you or any vow that we make. And so if we make it, you will hold us to that as men and women who should be men and women of your word. Our yes must be yes, and our no must be no. And so we love you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for Jesus' sacrifice. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. You just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net